0: The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. As we move closer to the NBA playoffs, check out The Low Post with Zach Lowe for all your NBA needs. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA Play-in tournament is happening May 18th through the 21st. It's a new, exciting twist to determine who makes the playoffs in both conferences. The number 7 through 10 place teams are vying for the 7th and 8th spots. Some teams are currently playing to avoid the tournament, while others are desperately trying to get in. At the end of the regular season, the number seven and eight teams square off, with the winner getting into the number seven seed. The loser plays the winner of the game between the nine and ten teams, and the winner of that game clinches the last spot, the eighth seed. ESPN is your home for all the drama. Wednesday, May 19th, and Friday, May 21st. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Monday afternoon. Joining me from Oklahoma City is Royce Young. Hi, Royce. Hi, Brian.
1: Good to be with you.
0: And joining us from Austin, Texas, a late ad, I have to say, Dave McMenman was supposed to join us, but then the Lakers um, called a practice, and I believe he's waiting to talk to LeBron after his practice. We'll see if LeBron actually decides to... Speak to the media today. Um, nonetheless, coming in uh, and helping us is from Austin, Texas, Kurt Goldsberry.
2: Sorry to disappoint those waiting to hear from Dave McNeneman. But I'll have <laughs> to. I'll do my best. I'll do my I best, know. folks.
0: You're, you know, it, you, know you, you, you I wouldn't say it's a, you know, you're not call, being called from the bullpen, more of a spot start mm-hmm. <laughs> to use a baseball analogy. So um, we got a lot of games this week. I will say, um, you know, Adam Silver is a, um, is a big uh, European soccer fan. And one of the things that happens on the last day of, um, I know for the Premier League, I can't speak with, um, with certainty on Bundesliga or La Liga or Serie A or the top other leagues in Europe. All of, the, all of the matches take place at the exact same time because there's often jockeying for position for first place, naturally for the teams at the bottom who would get relegated and kicked out of the league for teams to get in the top spots to qualify for the, um, champions league like the following year in various leagues. And they don't want anybody to have an advantage to know, um, you know, to, to have it, be able to have some sort of advantage to have information about the other team. So all games happen at the same time. It's not great for fan viewing, Uh, Because you can't watch multiple games, really. But it's a pretty cool environment. It kind of makes for a charged environment for that Sunday afternoon. Well, the the NBA has on Sunday where there's going to be a bunch of games. Normally, the NBA regular season ends like on a Wednesday. And the playoffs start that weekend. Well, this year, it's because of all the differences. It's ending on Sunday. And they're going to play all the games, I think. I think I saw all pretty much all the games on Sunday afternoon. So all of the seating, play in, all this stuff. Games are going to be going on all at the same time. I kind of think that that's cool and definitely a European soccer um, uh, move. Uh, so um, that, we have that to look forward to for Sunday. But there's a lot on the line for this week, guys. And this is one of the things I want to talk about. Obviously, we got the playoffs next week, to play-in tournament. We'll have a lot of time to go over that. But I just want to sort of set up what we should be watching this week. And the first thing I want to talk about is this little – River of possibility for the Utah Jazz, who, thanks to the Lakers beating the Suns on Sunday, now have a two-game lead on the number one seed. They're in really good position, I think, to to get it. Um, And if everything falls right for them, Kirk, the Jazz could end up in number one. The Lakers could go into 7-8 play-in and then potentially beat the Warriors they'd be favored I think um, and then be on that side of the bracket the Suns who are the two seed would be on that side of the bracket and the Clippers the three seed would be on that side of the bracket so they would position themselves to only have I mean they have to take care of their own business with the teams they play but not have to see Clippers Suns or Lakers until potentially the conference finals which is as good of a draw as you can think of for a number one seed that I can remember in a while.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And even if the the Lakers get to six, it doesn't change that for them. I think there's a real possibility that the Jazz, and and BPI reflects this in the most latest projections, that the Jazz are very likely to end up in the Western Conference Finals, at least because, as you mentioned, uh, the Clippers, the Suns, and the Lakers could be three of the four teams on the other side of the bracket. And that's a brutal bracket for those other teams. And other news, that hurts all of those other teams' chances to get out uh, on their side. The thing I'm watching is the Lakers, the defending champion. Currently, they are in seventh place, but there is now a path with LeBron James coming back for them to overtake Portland. Bottom line, Lakers have to go 3-1 or 4-0 uh, th- in this week. And Portland has to go one and three and two and two. And Portland has a very tough schedule, including a brutal back-to-back with the Jazz and the Suns, who I think would both be motivated to put Portland into the play-in tournament um, because the Jazz and the Suns are going to play whoever comes out of the play-in tournament. And they'd much rather that be, say, Portland uh, than it would be the Lakers. So I think that's what I'm watching. Can the Lakers get one last gasp and overcome Portland to get that sixth seed? In which one more one more thing to think about there. If they do do that, which I think is plausible, sets up a first round series with who? The LA Clippers. That's how brutal a first round in the West could be.
0: Yeah. So, the, so the, if you're a Clipper fan, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. You got to play the Lakers at some point, Royce. But if you're a Clipper fan, you're probably rooting for the Blazers this week to get some victories to hold the the Lakers back and push them at least into the second round.
1: Yeah. So if I'm <clears throat> if I'm understanding this right, Kurt, two and two. If the Blazers go two and two, the Lakers just need to go three and one. Is that correct?
2: No, they would need to go four and zero. Oh. The Blazers okay. have a one game lead, and critically, Royce, they have got the tiebreaker. So, oh, okay. the Lakers need to go. If they go four and zero, oh and the Blazers go two and two, Lakers pass them. Or Lakers go three and one, Blazers will go one and three. So, the last three games for the Blazers guys are huge. A back to back at Utah and Phoenix, and then home against Jokic and the Nuggets is their last game. They could go oh and three there. That yeah. opens up the path for the Lakers to sneak out of the plan and put the Blazers into the play.
1: Cause that's what I'm, I'm you know, looking at the Blazers schedule. We're, again, we're recording this Monday afternoon. They play the Rockets, the Blazers do tonight. I think we can go ahead and count that as a win for mm-hmm. Portland. So they've got one down. The question mm-hmm. is, and I, and I think you, you mentioned it, Kirk, that some of it is, I think, determinative uh, on the approach that the jazz, the Suns, and the nuggets may take in some of those games. Um, now Portland has played much better lately. Uh, you know, after their kind of five game losing streak, they've turned it around. They've won something like seven out of eight, or something like that. Lillard's playing much better. Uh, their bench has played better. Nurkic has played better. Um, so, but I, I think that 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 window is very open for the Lakers, and and really it it is only open because of kind of a surprise win that they had Sunday night against the Suns. I don't, you know, Anthony Davis was absolutely phenomenal in the game against Phoenix, but that really kind of was seen as. Like, the Lakers going into that, it was seen as such an uphill climb for them because of, of the stakes that they had. The margin for error was so slim, and it started with a game against Phoenix. And so it was like, well, that's one that they're not going to get. And then they got that one. So I think that's kind of what's opened this door to this whole conversation is that, you know, for one, Anthony Davis is playing great, looks healthy, and LeBron is on the horizon. Right, Brian? I mean, like, he's 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 he's, he's back soon, so – yeah. I think the Lakers can feel a little bit optimistic here. I mean, the Lakers have a back to back this week, so I would be
0: I would question whether LeBron's going to play in both of those, but I don't know. Maybe he will. Um, you know Anthony Davis has actually played relatively well the last three or four games. Um, I know he had that sort of setback where he didn't finish the one game, but he's been warming up. You know, the thing about the Lakers has been their defense. Um, mm-hmm. you know their their numbers are <laughs> are pretty remarkable. Um, I'm going to go over them here. It, so we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but I have this up to date as of now. So start the season with Anthony, uh, with Anthony Davis and LeBron in the lineup for most of the games. Uh, they, I believe, they were number two in the West when AD got hurt. Um, they ranked um, uh, 24 in offense uh, during during that early part of the season, but they were number one in defense. Then AD got hurt. Okay. And for a month they played with LeBron, no AD. They didn't play that many games in that stretch because it spanned the all-star game, but there was like three and a half weeks there before LeBron got hurt. During that time, they slipped to, to, to defense to number two, but still awesome. remember they came out to the East Coast and, and did a really good job on that road trip, went like four and two or something right after he got hurt, and they did a good job, but slipped back to 26th on offense. So their defense is carrying the day. Then LeBron gets hurt, and now they're without LeBron and AD. They still hold on to f- number four in defense during that span, but drop all the way back to 28th in offense. So their their defense is holding them. And remember when Brought and when AD came back, they were still maybe in fourth, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then AD came back and their defense fell out. And they were just terrible. The first six games when they were when AD was back, they ranked 19th in defense. Now so they've improved a little bit. Um, but even with um like the, the game they beat the Suns, uh Which, you know, they beat the Suns and Nuggets in a week, which is just awesome. I mean, if you're looking for optimism for the Lakers, Mm -hmm. those two wins were just great wins. And they did play really good defense against the Suns, but in that game against the Nuggets, but in that game against the Suns, they allowed 54% shooting. So ultimately, what I'm going to say is this. And I know that uh, Taylor Horton Tucker has been out, Caruso has banged up, Kuzma has been uh, banged up and and missed a game with back issues. AD has obviously been getting into form. Uh, Schroeder has COVID. So I'm not judging like, I know they don't have their full team out there, but their slippage in in defense has been what's put them into peril because they were keeping their head above water when those guys were out and they were defending. Um, So now since AD came back, they're, they're up to 11th in defense. So good, very good, but not the level they were playing at before. So more than anything, whether they're six or seven or eight or three or whatever, they've got to get back to playing that elite level of defense. And, and if they do that and LeBron comes back, even if he's 75%, they're going to have a serious shot at this. And the other thing I think it's important to realize, I'm not sure everybody totally is, is remembers, Kirk, that if you are the seven seed, you have to lose twice to not make the playoffs. You'd have to lose the seven, eight, and then you'd have to lose um, you know whoever wins the 9-10 game you'd have it's a double elimination and for the Lakers they're not going to fall the eight I highly I don't I don't even know if it's possible I, I don't I no. highly doubt it Mm-mm. so they're gonna have home court for for both playing games essentially and hopefully LeBron and ad they're making the top eight they're gonna get into the postseason their focus has got to be on getting back to that elite defense that they were playing for so long.
2: Yeah, and it's weird for those of us who grew, grew up watching Magic Johnson and the Showtime Lakers to see the L.A. Lakers being you know, a defensive juggernaut. But you're exactly right. That's the Frank Vogel brand. That's this current era of Lakers. Is This is a defensive team. Last year in the bubble, their defense won them that championship. And with Schroeder out and LeBron out and AD out, of course that defensive efficiency took a big hit. Of course it did. Um, the question is, can they get it back on the fly in the midst of a play-in tournament situation or early first-round play against somebody like the Clippers. There's not going to be a lot of time to get their legs back. And that's why people like Jalen Rose has, has been saying this weekend, if you're seven and you have to start in the plan, it's just too hard. Nobody's ever made it to the finals from seven or eight. They would be trying to do something nobody has ever done. Uh, so it really is a challenge what they're setting up for. Let me
0: just say something there. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna slap an asterisk on there. I mean, Jalen yeah. is of course correct. Go show me a 70 with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on it, though.
2: That, that's why it's fascinating, and I I totally agree with you. A, a lot of us would say right to Jalen at that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly what you said. They got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If those guys are healthy, now you know Woj is reporting that that he can't put a lot of weight on that foot, or he can't cut the way he wants to. Are we really getting LeBron James as an open? Question. That said, you're exactly right. The Lakers are a defensive juggernaut. They have to get back to playing great defense if they want to get through a series against the Clippers. So the question is, can they do that on the fly when they start to get these guys back into? into yeah,
0: so, the Royce, so they season? so they beat the Suns, and you they, you know mm-hmm. you may say, well, if their defense is so bad, then and then how do they beat the Suns when the Suns shoot fifty three percent? Well, the answer was the Lakers hit a ton of threes against the Suns. Um, This is what I will say. You know, Ben McLemore, who they picked up off the street, he hasn't shot the ball great all the time, but there's been a couple of games where he shot the ball great. This game was one of them. Caldwell Pope shot the three really well in this game. Wes Matthews shot the three really well. So when they shoot the three-pointer, yes, it can really help them. They put up 123. But I would just say, don't count on them hitting the three-pointer. They're ranked 22 in the league in, th- in three-point percentage, which is the worst of all the um, playoff teams that are in the top eight. Um, I think the Pelicans are below them. Um, but I, And the Spurs are maybe right below them as well. But one of the worst uh, of the top teams in the league. So, so yeah, when they hit the threes, it's it's good. But don't. I would say, don't think that that's going to happen on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was the story with last year's Lakers too, right? Is that their shooting inconsistency was what had people having some doubts about them. Um, Again, they were a defensive juggernaut, but I mean, here's the thing, Brian, like, you know, I know that the Lakers would probably prefer to avoid the play in scenario, but it's, it's kind of a, I don't want to call it a win-win because they're in a difficult situation, but either you avoid it and you don't have to mess with the play in, but now you're in a three, six with the Clippers that's not that great. Or you're in the play-in and you potentially, you know, you 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 feel confident about getting through it. And I know that the Jazz are good and I know that the Suns are good, but wouldn't am, am I crazy to think that the Lakers if they were if they were drawing their team, if they were like going to go choose their their opponent out of those three teams, Clippers would be the last one that they would want, right?
0: You could even argue and I don't I don't know how to judge this, but I've talked to some people in the league who said that it would be an advantage for the Clippers to play the Lakers in the first round because Staples Center will have True. very few fans in it, and therefore the inherent disadvantage of playing home games in front of Laker fans will be minimized. Um, and that if you're the Clippers and you could play, and, and you know, you figure you have to play the Lakers at some point. You know that battle royale will have to happen. It doesn't have to happen though, but you know that. It's destined to happen. And you're catching
1: the Lakers also with slightly less healthy AD and LeBron. That's right.
0: You're catching them. early, And so some people would argue, uh, guys, that um, the Clippers should be hoping that the Lakers
1: end up in six because this is the best time to get them. Yeah, I mean, you have to be—you have to be planning for the the reality that you're going to have to beat the Lakers. You know, what I mean, like if you're the Clippers, it may not be true, but like that's the way that they have to be thinking. We're going to have to beat that group at some point, point. and so when is the best time to do it? I, I would think that the Clippers would prefer the Lakers in the opening round, as as maybe as as frustrating as that might be, because holy cow, can you imagine the stakes for the Clippers? You know, like if, if with a possible first round exit. Staring them in the face. I mean, like, oh my god, people are talking about the Clippers wow. and like the stakes for them going into this playoffs. I feel like they've kind of flown under the radar right now, but if they're facing the Lakers and that reality is is in front of them, of they could go out in the first round, like, man, that is pressure for the Clippers. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think that if you're going to have to beat the Lakers, that might be the best time to do it.
0: Yeah, I, you know, the Clippers have generally played pretty damn well the second half of the season. Uh, considering the so the challenges that they've had, you know, Kawhi has been bothered with his foot issue and has been on a minutes restriction. Serge Ibaka hasn't played in 30 games. I, I mean, they just it's, they just it's some sort of back issue. They're not really clear. They say back spasms, but obviously the back spasms are being caused by something. And DeMarcus Cousins is um, has been filling in, but I just don't know how much you trust Cousins uh, when it really matters. Um, uh, you know, I mean. <laughs> I would say that if last season didn't happen and I was looking at this whole field, I would probably pick the Clippers because, because I just don't know if the jazz and Suns can win three series. Um, I'd probably pick the Clippers a little bit ahead of the jazz. It would be close in my mind. Um, if LeBron and AD were fully healthy and I knew that I might pick the Lakers. (laughs) Um, but I just I can't bring myself with the Clippers. I just can't I'm so scarred by what happened last year. And this year, even though they've had a lot of positive things happen, they still have stubbed their toe enough that I'm I'm just not there with it. And uh you know, I you know, and I freely admit it was because I thought they were winning the whole thing last year. And even as they were having the struggles during the regular season, I said dozens of times. All that matters is that Paul George and Kawhi are healthy when it counts. They were, and it didn't matter. So, um, you know, it's one of the things we' we're going to be closely watching. Um, do you? Let's say that it is Lakers Warriors in uh, in the play-in tournament next week. Uh, Kirk, do you give the Warriors a, a one-off puncher's chance in that? Um, oh, of
2: course. I mean, yeah. this is Steph Curry for crying out loud. Anybody's watched him the last five or 10 years. Now, they're going to come in as an underdog, but as we've seen from Steph, he can light it up. Um, And yes, I give them a puncher's chance. I'm still taking the Lakers, uh, but I think, remember, the way this works, if they lose that 7-8 game, they're not out. Then they would go home and host the the winner of the 9-10 game, Brian. So I think the Warriors are a pretty safe bet to get in themselves, maybe beating the Lakers in that 7-8 game, but I think they'd be favored to win the next game against the winner of the 9-10 matchup. But going back to the main point here, guys, a lot of this Western Conference sort of prediction hinges on what we talked about at the top of the show, how this bracket shakes out. And that's why this next week is so important, because even a team like the Clippers, who's red hot, could end up having to go through the Lakers, the Suns, and the Jazz. Mm. Meanwhile, the Jazz, as Brian pointed out, could have a relatively easy path. So keep your eyes on how these two sides of the bracket shake out um, and including the play in tournament who ends up at seven and eight really has a big impact on how hard each of these teams overall path to the NBA finals could be.
0: Yeah. One of the X factors this week for the jazz is what happens with Donovan Mitchell and Michael Conley. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously they're both, you know, both of them. I think if this were the playoffs, I think would be playing. You know, they're just trying to protect Conley's hamstring because he hurt it earlier this year. And, you know, I I know that Mitchell's ankle injury looked kind of nasty. From what I have been told, it was a grade one sprain um, that was a more severe grade one sprain, but still grade one. But when the injury happened, they were like, okay, this is an opportunity not only to to make sure that ankle's okay, but to give him some rest. And so – when they bring those guys back uh, could affect some of the games that they have this week. I I would expect to see them play at least one game. Their their last two games are pretty pretty easy. I think the um, Thunder and the Kings. But then, as you mentioned, they have a couple of games earlier that are more difficult. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup there's another drama happening. And this is kind of like soccer where there's drama at the top and drama at the bottom. Um, there are, we talked about this a little bit last week, but there are four teams right now with 21 wins. Um, and the, and then there's a fifth the Detroit with 20 wins uh, the difference between sixth and second in terms of the, uh, the lottery is, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12%, depending on whether there are ties or whatever, of getting into that top four. Um, that may not seem like a heck of a lot, but the way some of these teams are operating, it seems like it matters a lot. Um, and the, the real interesting thing is, uh, you know, you've got Minnesota who has won, sort of won its way out, Um Uh, But the – so the four teams that have 21 wins as we sit here and talk today, there's games tonight, but um, the Thunder, the Cavs, the Magic, and the Wolves. Um, The Pistons have 20. Uh, The Pistons have – the Pistons' tanking maneuver is that they have pretty much – all but shut down Jeremy Grant. He's missed like 12 of the last 18 games with quote unquote knee soreness. Maybe his knee is hurting, um, but they've lost uh, eight of their last 10. The Oklahoma city thunder Royce, will you give us the stat that you tweeted out last night? <laughs> <laughs>
2: they're
1: they're on a historic run right now. Um, maybe not the, the, the best history to be part of, but it's a uh, credit to ESPN stats and info, but they have been outscored by 490 points in their last 25 games which is the worst margin of defeat by any team in any 25 game span in NBA history. The previous worst was from the the infamous 1992-93 Dallas Mavericks who were outscored by 489 points, and that team if you all remember went 11 and 71 that year. So you can make the argument that the Oklahoma City Thunder who are who are during that 25
0: games have averaged losing by 20 points, averaged. Mm-hmm. Remember, that includes some wins in there. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. They went on the road and beat the Boston Celtics for crying out loud, right?
1: I don't, I don't know. Uh,
0: so you could argue these last twenty five games they are maybe the worst
1: team in league history. It's it's since the All Star break their net rating is like a minus sixteen point one, and uh, yeah they have uh, they have been very intentional as as they have played it out. They've been very yeah, developmentally so they, minded, playing exploring the roster, all those types of things. Yeah. You know? So they they've to get here
0: they put. Uh, Al Horford on the shelf. Mm-hmm. They've shut down Shea Gildas Alexander, who does have um, he has a re- legitimate injury. Yeah, yeah, he has a legitimate injury. But let's watch how he dominates for the Canadian national team <laughs> yeah. in a few weeks in their. Qualifiers. They haven't been playing
1: Lou Dort back to backs. You know, they they say right. he's got some injury issues, and plus he wants to play for the national team also. So they're trying to kind of right. with the with the added load. They're, they're saving
0: him, Lou Dort and Shea Gildas Alexander for the Canadian national. <laughs>
1: team. Yeah, that's what I they're. I'm to
0: make that joke, but that's true. <laughs> Because uh, the Canadians, uh, to put on my I, uh, my Olympic uh, hat that I cover, uh, the Canadians haven't qualified for the Olympics yet, so they have to win a qualifying tournament in Victoria, British Columbia in June.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, normally, uh, you know, in June you'd be able to have a chance to have some of your players play, but it's going to be during the playoffs. Um, it just so happens, though, that two of their players who are, um, their best players, Lou Dorton, Shea alexander will have not played that much recently. And so if they're healthy, are, at, are eligible to play in it. Also, I think Kem Birch is going to play in it. Um, um, so, And then they could get some more guys, uh, potentially Tristan Thompson, depending on what happens to the Celtics. All right. So they have lost seven in a row and nine of ten, and mm-hmm. the last 25 games have been awful. The Cavs have lost ten in a row. Uh, they have a game tonight, and they have nine guys on their inactive list.
1: Aren't they kind of um, trying to win, though? I mean, they're not like – are they? No. They're not – okay. I didn't, no. but they're still playing some of their good players. I mean, quote-unquote good players.
0: Well, I mean – now, listen, guys. I met Anderson Varejao.
1: <laughs> he in, did play in uh, the game against uh, – what game was that the other night when he played? He's been playing – he played 20 minutes against the Mavericks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: because, now, I just want cl- to clarify this. <laughs> I met Anderson Varejao in 2004. When he didn't even speak English yet, okay, and we interviewed him, he um, had to go through one of the trainers who spoke Spanish. Uh, Even though his native language is Portuguese, he knew some Spanish because he had played in Barcelona. This is how long I've known him. I have a great affinity for Anderson Varejao. I wrote a whole story. I was in Brazil when he went to Brazil and to play with the Cavs and wrote a big story about him there and everything like that. This is nothing against Andy Varejo. He has no business playing for the Cavs right now because they shouldn't be, um, they shouldn't, and I don't want to focus on the 16th man of the Cleveland Cavaliers, but it goes to show you that they're signing a guy who hasn't played organized basketball in two years Um, and and hadn't played five on five, by the way. This wasn't like a guy
1: who was like, "I'm, I'm staying ready. Yeah, he literally said that in his first post-game press conference. I can't right. remember who he played against, but he was like, yeah, that's my first five-on-five action. <laughs> he said, I was that's surprised at right. how good I felt.
0: <laughs> that's right. He actually has done okay. But the point is, it it is clear what the Cavs are doing there. They're trying to distract their fans from their potentially finishing with 14 straight losses to
1: assure their tank. Um, it's also clear that the Thunder – need to bring Nick Collison back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. I see you're Andy Vergell
1: and I up you a Nick Collison.
0: The Thunder wouldn't do that. And, you know, you can say, well, who cares at the end of the season? Well, I point out that two years ago, the Miami Heat signed Kendrick Nunn at the last day of the regular season. He seemed to have been a good. Okay. The Orlando Magic also have 21 wins. They've been taking ever since the trade deadline. They've lost uh, seven of 10 for now. And um, we mentioned the Timberwolves. Uh, have been winning. They've won six out of ten. Uh, Anthony Edwards has been playing great. Had an incredible uh, seventeen of twenty-two shooting night for forty-two points uh, over the weekend, or maybe that was Thursday. You know, he was awesome. So they're, I think they're going to get a win or two this week and uh, emerge from this pack. But you know, there, there's quite a bit at stake here. I mean, um, you know, the, the the Thunder really, really could use a top draft pick. They need a talent infusion mm-hmm. on that roster. The Cavs have had not in the in the secondary lebron rebuild have not had lottery luck um and they've um they've not moved up at all and so that's left them uh kind of you know searching for uh, any kind of franchise player uh, orlando is obviously rebooting so you know kirk which of these teams do you think <laughs> needs you know needs to lose the worst uh with where they are
2: Well, I just like the idea of Cade Cunningham going to Royce's uh, Oklahoma City uh, team too, and I think it would be the funnest outcome because Cade—he's from Texas, but obviously played in Stillwater. Uh, You know, I think that that that's on my radar, Um, but you know, I'm just. I guess I'm glad we fixed tanking, right? I mean, that's what, <laughs> what I keep thinking of as you guys are telling us this conversation. But it, it, these games are pretty hard. To I mean, watch. Toronto,
0: but we didn't even talk about Toronto. Toronto is tanking too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well,
2: Houston's
1: Houston's not in the conversation. They've just tanked so hard that they're just yes, so far below.
0: They're, they're 16 and 52. Yeah. Um, let's go back to some of the things that they said at the start of this whole
1: season, and um, it's pretty crazy. But so, but let me get this straight. So. The Wolves and the Pistons are set to play – I don't know what what night they play. Tomorrow, Tuesday.
2: If the Pistons 21.
1: win, then we have five teams with 21 wins. Right? I would be stunned if the Pistons but won. But if they 20 did – I know the, the Wolves are playing to win. The Wolves are actually playing okay. Um, but – so if we have five teams with 21 wins, then it's – how does this – isn't it a coin flip? Is that what we do? How does the coin flip work with a five-way tie? I don't know. <laughs> You know what? That's a great question. I don't know how
0: this tie is broken. Um, I
1: think it's a coin flip, isn't it? Isn't that what they typically do with tied records? Yeah. uh, But like, do you go like, okay, Magic and Cavs coin flip? Like, is it like a series of coins. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I feel like we should know this. There have been
0: times where there's been three ties and I think there's been a series of coin flips. And back in those, back in the pre COVID days that they would actually physically have the, the coin flips at NBA headquarters and the teams would dispatch a representative um, to go watch it, to make sure they were no shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And so the, talk about um, a great, um, you know, boondoggle. You know, you know, you know, the, you know, the general manager is not going to go. So it's going to be a lower-level front office executive, and they're going to say, hey, you want a free trip to New York City? <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> go watch somebody right. flip a coin?
0: Fly, fly over there and make sure there's no <laughs> shenanigans with that ta- heads and tails situation. And, yeah, you can go see a show and, you know, whatever.
1: Man, just to think, though, Brian, you go through this whole season meticulously planning. You're shutting down players, strategically resting guys, whatever you're doing. And then your whole lottery odds could hinge on the flip of a coin. That sounds like that. Just- no, so
0: you know, it's crazy how good the Cavs lottery luck was. Um, so, you know, the first time LeBron left, he was gone for four years. They won the lottery in three of those four years. <laughs> the year that they did not win it um, was the year that Anthony Davis went to the Pelicans. The Pelicans and the Cavs tied for the record that year. And the Cavs, I think, won the coin flip. And so they got um, a couple of extra lottery codes uh, or, you know, combos um, that the, the Pelicans um, and then the Pelicans won. Had the Cavs lost the coin flip, their co- their number would have come up again and they would have won it, you know. I don't know if they would have won it the fourth year after uh, AD, but um, they would have won it again there. That's how close they were.
1: So, there, So, so uh, moral of the story, welcome to Cleveland, Cade Cunningham. Is that what... <laughs>
0: Well, I'm saying they haven't had, you know, their luck is spun back. I mean I know, you know, but
1: it's about time for them to get it, get it going their way. I mean, that's
0: I will tell you. Um, I have almost never seen Dan Gilbert happier than when he won the lottery. I guess he was happier when he won the championship, but it was close. And I know you think I'm crazy. I know you think that even saying that is crazy. I'm telling you, you talk to people in the Cavs organization, they will tell you that Dan Gilbert. Loves the lottery more than anything, you know. He, you know, you remember, you know, he would always, you know, they would dress in uniforms. He would have his son go up there with a the bow tie. Mm-hmm. And the one year, David Stern got pissed off because the group that Dan, you know, Dan like brought a bunch of fans and friends in his in his plane to New York for the lottery. And like, it's you know, I actually think it, it's cool for everybody to cheer. I, I'm all for cheering, but no, it's normally kind of like a cold room because. You know, everybody's up there, you know, they go there with the, with the 12th pick, the Detroit Pistons, and then they show the Detroit Pistons representative for two-tenths of a second, and that, then that's it, and everyone's sort of quiet. Um, Gilbert would like was, like, roaring with laughter and leading cheers in the stands, and David Stern gave him the side eye from the stage. Um, Dan Gilbert loves the lottery, mm. so um, whatever that's worth to you. Um, but, yeah, so... That this week and how this all shakes out and and who goes where, I mean, you would think that the that the odds would be, um, you know, would, you know, the the flattening the odds wouldn't be that big of a difference. But, you know, I'm only judging the way these teams are playing and the Mm -hmm. way they're behaving. They seem to think it's pretty important, especially in a draft where a lot of people think that there are five franchise changing players so yeah. i think I, you know i don't think the thunder and the Cavs and the magic are thinking let's get that number one pick let's lose this game to get that extra chance to number one they pick. just want to be I in the
1: top four i mean that's really they, what it is you know, that's, top they,
0: they want to try to get the best chance they can to be in the top four and really the race is for you know spots for the number three spot because the three spot one two and three all of the same odds Fifty-two percent of being in the top four, 14 percent of getting number one overall. You, like I said, you you fall down to four, you lose ten percentage points. You fall down a couple more, you lose a couple more percentage points. That's the fight. Who can get in there and be in those in those top three uh, odds wise?
1: You know, so. you know, Kirk kind of mentioned it, like we fixed tanking, but you know, I do wonder, like on a on a bigger scale, and you know, I think that we're all kind of invigorated by this play in. Situation with the, how meaningful games can feel, and more teams are included. It makes teams, I think, more or uh, less inclined to, you know, kind of um, rest players during the regular season because it puts such a importance on tiebreakers and all this sorts of stuff. And I think the play in overall has been really good in that regard. But I also think it's going to create a larger gap between the middle and the bottom. Like if you, because you got to make sure that you're not like knocking on that door of the play in. Like right now, like the Bulls. Are they, they've kind of been knocking on the door of that play in the whole time, but they're not going to get there and they're caught in no man's land. So they missed out on the tank, but they, and so like, I think that it's going to, have, it might exacerbate like the bottom six teams really committing to being bad. And, and that might be kind of like an offshoot of the play in situation is that you see teams tank, take the tanking approach a little more uh, seriously overall.
0: Okay. Now let me talk about somebody else who's got something on the line this week and it's not apparent. He can't really talk about it, but it's kind of important. And that's Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. Now the Celtics, you know, we talked about the teams at the bottom are all losing. A lot of the teams at the top are winning, you know, you know, there's a pretty good battle right now for, for positioning. So, you know, the Sixers who we haven't talked about in a while, they've won eight games in a row, uh, to solidify their position. Number one, the Bucks have been playing great. They've won 8 out of 10. The Knicks are hanging in there, 7 out of 10. The Heat are picking it up. They've won 7 out of 10. You look out west, the Jazz, despite their injuries, 7 out of 10. Um, the, uh, the Mavericks have been hot, 8 out of 10, won 4 in a row. The Blazers have come firing back from their uh, struggles to win 3 in a row. They're 7 out of 10. And then you look at the Boston Celtics. Celtics have lost six of ten, and their performance uh, against the Heat on Sunday, where everybody knew how important that game was, the Heat, I can tell you, were treating it like a playoff game, and they come the Celtics come out at home and give up seventy something points in the first half. They're down fifteen or 16 points after one quarter or whatever. I know Jalen Brown was out for the game, but they're in, and I know they, they made a run in the second half, but that's just ridiculous. And the reason this matters for Tatum, I'm going to tell you why. Jason Tatum signed a huge contract extension at the start of the season in his contract is what's known as the Rose provision. Um, if he makes all NBA, uh, one of the teams, his, he will get 32 million dollars more. Um than I think he's he's contracted for 160. I think it bumps to like 190 or something like that. I I think it's 32 million. And like, let's be clear, it's a first world problem. I realize that it's a it's a 1% problem, even more, it's one-tenth of one percent problem. Um, you know, thinking he's not gonna get 32 million or whatever, that's fine. But when you look at the all-NBA situation, you know, he's in a fight for one of the last spots with a guy like Julius Randle. And at the Celtics, regardless of how Tatum plays, I know he's had a couple of big games. He did get outplayed by Jimmy Butler uh, pretty, pretty handily on Sunday. And um, Butler is one of the guys who's going to be in competition for him for one of those spots. It would really be good for Jason Tatum and, and, you know, and the Celtics, of course, first. They have a strong finish to this season, Kirk, and and give him himself a chance to you know to play and get out of that six at seven seed, put it put the best foot forward right as the voters are going to make their votes. Um, at, I think next Monday the votes are due, uh, but things have not gone the Celtics' way this season, and I wouldn't think that this is going to go this way either.
2: No, it's been it's been a bad year in Boston, and in addition to that first egg they laid in that Miami game. Uh, they had a similar game on Friday against Chicago where they, they needed to win, and they didn't win that one either. Uh, that was a disappointment. Uh, so they have this big game, the second game against Miami coming up, and there's still a path for them. And, and if Tatum leads them out of the play-in, uh he'll get a lot of attention in the last week. So here's what has to happen. They have to get this game against Miami on Tuesday. They would then get the tiebreaker over the Heat. Uh, and then Boston has an easy schedule. They have the Cavs and the Wolves. We know what they're up to. Uh, and then we have the Knicks, their last game of the year. Meanwhile, Miami has that road game at Boston. And then still has Philly and Milwaukee before ending the season in Detroit. So there is a path where they get this game against Miami, get those two gimmies against the tanking teams and beat the Knicks, go 4-0, and and steal the six and Miami becomes the playing team. And if they do that and Jason is out there scoring 40 or 45 in some of these big must-win games, um, that's going to really help him make that case. But here's my issue. They've had big games for the last few weeks, yeah, and they I haven't know, showed up. So I why know. would I – they still have a chance. But it, this is – they've <laughs> yeah, got to be the most disappointing I appreciate team.
0: you laying that out. <laughs> <laughs> they've got to be uh, the most
2: disappointing team – in the NBA. And and the real question is, is this team's big overall championship window closing in part because they're disappointing, but in part because the top of the East now has three stalwarts up there? Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee sure look like sustainable teams for the next few years, don't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a bigger, that's a 10,000 foot no, question.
2: That's maybe next time.
0: You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, Catch the Clutch hits, Strikeouts, Grand Salamis, Web Gems with nothing on your roof. Of course, I know people don't like the media getting to decide who gets the money. I don't know what to mm-hmm. say this is this is the we didn't is, ask for it. That's what I'd say. We didn't ask for that job. Well, this is the the players and owners don't trust each other, so this is them making you know this is the, right. they, they can't trust the fans obviously. So this is the best bad option. Yeah, you know, the media are are least likely to of all the screw ups. The me, the media in this case are the least likely to screw it up. Yeah. But that's the case and everybody knows it.
1: You talk about who has the most to lose this week tangibly, I guess it's Jason Tatum potentially. There you go.
0: In real money. I mean, I, you know, this ha, this came down with Anthony Davis a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And um and I you know, it's not it's it's considered, you know, irreverent for the team or Tatum himself to petition the media. I made a joke a couple of years ago that Anthony Davis um should buy every uh every voter a sport utility vehicle because yeah, that would cost, you know, a hundred voters. It would cost him like probably two and a half million bucks, but he would have gotten, you know, 30 million. So it would be worth it. It would be a good investment. Yeah. Um, I'm joking about that, but like um, uh, I have received, you know, I have had agents reach out to me on behalf of players already this week um, to sort of petition me. And I appreciate that, but um You know, the it's sort of a weird position. Like, and this has happened before. But, like, you know, what do the Celtics?
1: Right, I wonder what the team perspective is, Brian. Are they like, no, it's the opposite. We'd like you to not vote for him, please. Well, but they
0: can't make it look like that because they want to campaign. They They got to campaign
1: for their players. You know, their PR departments got to send you a pair of sunglasses or whatever they do that you know ties into some. But you don't. But
0: nobody really campaigns for all NBA.
1: No. No, not really.
0: It's 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 not a you know they they, they come up with stuff for rookie of the year they come up with stuff for coach of the year, but nobody campaigns. You know, I mean, so Jason Tatum's campaign is his play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know,
1: but, but you're, there's, there's you're 100% right though line. that like the lasting impact of closing games has does impact voters and, and especially when you look at like the the season in totality, it sometimes can be as simple as well I can't vote for that guy. He didn't even make the top six. Like it, it's some the voters I just make it, decisions. It, it like just
0: that. leaves a bad taste in it. Again, he he might have this weekend. He might go for forty six one night and fifty one the next. But if the Celtics are seventh, and you're trying to figure it out. It it's difficult. It's difficult to when you're trying to break a tie between yeah. him and Julius Randle and Jimmy Butler. It's difficult if those teams finish
1: ahead of Yeah, it. It's a strike. Yeah, it's just a strike against you. On, on. And
0: I understand. Like here's the thing: he had COVID this year. He's talked about how he had breathing issues and how he you know felt like he there was question whether he should have played and he went and and um and uh, and played you know kind of played through it even though he wasn't 100% and like yes that that affects the way you look at his season and there's no doubt he is worthy of being all NBA that said because it's so close this this week um ends up you know meaning so much boston the key thing for boston not necessarily just looking at miami they got to make sure they just stay in front of charlotte so that they um, so that they make sure that they have a, a two-game or, a, you know, the play-in stays at home. Um, Royce, is there any other teams you're looking at with a, with a lot
1: on the line this week? Uh, let's see. I, I think that, um, you know, the East has kind of been somewhat settled the top of it. I mean, the 2-3 the with Brooklyn and, and uh, Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, I will say this. Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Um, Brooklyn moved back into uh, number two. With uh, their win at Denver was huge. Um, uh, they've played one more game than the Bucks as of this moment, so the Bucks have the tiebreaker. So if the win, they go back into mm-hmm. it. But that two-three, you know, isn't isn't nothing. And I will say this: when I watch the Miami Heat, yeah. you know, the Heat are finally healthy. I don't know if they'll stay there, but they're finally pretty healthy. They're very versatile defensively. You know, the, you know, it's the same reason they had success last year. Tyler Hero, who's been, you know, not that great this year from what we were expecting, has been hot lately. I would not want to play the Miami Heat in the first round. I really would not. And that 2-3 with Brooklyn and in, in Milwaukee not only affects home court in that potential second round series, which I think could be the best series of the second round, I, you know, the difference between playing a play-in team like Boston or Charlotte or Washington versus playing the Miami Heat in the first round is pretty damn night and day. Yeah. So I would say the Nets also have some incentive, although they may not be able to control it because I think if both they and Milwaukee went out, I think Milwaukee gets it. but. You know, the Nets should, you know, should be eye. I know they're worried about Harden, uh, Kirk, but they should be eyeing those. uh, Yeah,
2: I'm with you guys. And one of the sort of low key biggest stories of the last few weeks has been Philadelphia is just sort of taking hold of that first place because, again, talking about pathways to the finals, that side of the Eastern Conference bracket is a lot better uh, than the other side because the 2 3 matchup, as you allude to, (laughs) is going to be brutal. If Milwaukee wins out, they have Spurs, Magic, Pacers, and then the Heat uh, then before they close out with the Bulls, if they win out, they will get two. And as you said, that gets you home court in this huge second-round series, and it also gets you probably no Miami Heat in the first round. So if you're talking about somebody who has a lot to win or lose, it's the Bucks. We saw what the Heat did to them last year, and I'm not saying that would repeat itself, but yeah, I don't want Miami in the first round. I'd much rather play uh, Boston or somebody coming out of the play-in tournament. So I think you're exactly right, Brian. Maybe the team with the most to lose or gain is Milwaukee because they could be right back in a matchup with the Miami Heat.
0: Yeah, they they, they, it's just bad juju. Even though they're a lot different this mm-hmm. year, it's bad juju. Yeah. Um, well, and the, there's, plus there's this. the
1: Bam Giannis situation. I mean, you talk about there's nobody built to guard Giannis. We know that, but but Bam Adebayo is at least, and he showed it in the bubble. He's capable. Uh, and and plus with the scheme that Eric Spoelstra can have. I, I, I To me, that's just like the, in so many ways the team, if I'm the Bucs, I, do, I don't want to see the heat at all.
0: Kirk, I didn't prepare you for this. I'm just throwing this out right now. But before we go, I wanted to ask you this one thing because I've had a debate with some people in the league about this. We know that the Bucs tried to get Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's been terrific uh, since he moved into the starting lineup and got healthy for the Hawks. The Hawks have been playing great. They're, you know, they have the easiest schedule in the league this week and have a good chance to pass the Knicks for four unless the Knicks can somehow win out. They couldn't get him. They couldn't execute the deal. In the end, they ended up keeping Dante DiVincenzo, and then midseason they made the trade for P.J. Tucker, which um, they probably wouldn't have been able to necessarily pull off had they done the Bogdan trade. So basically they have Dante DiVincenzo and P.J. Tucker instead of Bogdan Bogdanovich. Do you think especially seeing how Bogdan is playing. They are better off with those two guys, or they would they be better off had they been able to pull off that sign and trade and, and got Bogdanovich?
2: I like Bogdanovich. It gives them an, another shot creator and uh, another scorer in these instances. Because let's be honest, when it looks bad for Milwaukee against a really good defense, the offense just doesn't look good. It yeah. looks really bad. Giannis at the top of the key, almost like without any direction. Um, and a player like Bogdanovich just gives you some other ways to get buckets in those moments. So I think, I think so now drew holiday is obviously the biggest difference between where they were last year and where they are this year. And he's been pretty good. So I, I think in a playoff series with Miami, he gives them a different kind of personality. Uh, they still have good shooting on the edges but, yeah, I, I think I'm with Royce. You just don't want to see the Miami Heat. I don't care if you're Milwaukee. I would say the same thing about the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want to see Spolstra and Bam and Jimmy coming your way as a seven seed that's t- or a six seed. That's, that's a bad first-round opponent for anybody, and I think we all share that same viewpoint, that Eric Spolstra is the most dangerous coach as an underdog yeah. in the NBA right now.
0: I don't think he's exactly thrilled with the way their defense has been playing recently, but he's got to be happy with having the weapons at his disposal, especially when he deploys hero and he makes the shots. Um, as for the the bucks thing, PJ Tucker. Isn't the player that he was last year. And I, he, I know he was been really, was really banged up and, and everything. But um, if he is, if he turns into that defensive player that he was last year, especially um, in the playoffs, um then that becomes a real weapon that you can use because versatile defensive players are really important, um, in the playoffs, uh, in, in this modern era. All right. Thank you to Royce. Thank you to Kirk. Thank you to Tony, our producer. Thank you for listening to the collective podcast. We'll talk to you later in the week and who knows what will happen by then.